this is Hannah Nordby with NDSU Adams County Extension, and you're listening to Agriculture Applied. Innovate, Relate, Create with NDSU Extension. On this week's episode, I got to dive into the topic of rural mental health with Monica McConkie and Libby Grafning, who each brought to the table unique experiences that have evolved into passions as it relates to mental well-being. Monica has worked for the last 25 years in the rural behavioral health field. Through Eyes on the Horizon Consulting, she strives to increase access to and remove the stigma often attached to mental health services in rural underserved areas. For Libby, mental health is a topic that hits close to home. She'll share the life experiences that fuel her fire later. For now, I'd like to say that she inspires me every day how she has taken difficult life experiences and used them to be a light to others going through difficult times. Go ahead, grab a cup of joe and settle in to ponder innovative ideas and reflect on generational changes which can help us create a better tomorrow. You're not going to want to miss out. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to Agriculture Applied. I'm sitting here, or well, Zooming here with Monica and Libby, and I think we have some very important uh, topics to cover today, and I'm just excited to dive right into the heart of things. And so without further ado, I'm going to ask both Monica and Libby to introduce themselves a little bit, explain where your passion for mental health comes from. And then we'll kind of just take it from there. So if Monica, if you want to start us out and everything, not to put you on the spot right away, but. (laughs) Okay. So I guess um, I kind of describe myself as a farm girl turned mental health counselor. So I grew up on a farm in Northwestern Minnesota. My uh, parents and brother and son actually run the family farm today. And that, you know, when I get to the part about what I'm doing now, that's kind of the link. That's what, what came full circle and brought me to my work now. But after school, I, I went to college for counseling and psychology and always just felt a a real passion for helping, being a helper, um, helping people talk through whatever weight they were carrying kind of a thing. And so I've been in the mental health field in rural areas for the last 25 years in a variety of capacities. Um, So most recently now I'm self-employed and my work is all around um, working with farmers, farm stress and farmer ranching mental health. So I work uh, through a contract with the Minnesota Department of Agriculture and meet with farmers and ranchers and their families every day take calls from them. Uh, We talk through stressors and I do a lot of work um, in North Dakota and Wisconsin all around uh, stress in the agricultural community, I guess we could say. Perfect. Well, thanks for sharing a little bit about your background. I think it's always nice when we're talking about um, mental health in particular, it's nice to have professionals that can relate to the producer lifestyle. So thanks for that. Yes, you're very welcome. And and I think you're very right about that too, that it helps to have somebody who gets it. Um, Libby, can you go ahead and 
and kind of do the same, share a bit about yourself and where your passion comes from? Okay. Um, On the agriculture side, I grew up on a um, farm ranch and honestly could not get out of there fast enough (laughs) and uh, graduated, went to the big city of Fargo and then uh, couldn't get out of there fast enough. (laughs) And um, anyway, through through, uh, some trials and errors in life, ended up back on a farm uh, 20 years ago and um, and so that that's my agricultural backside and then um, for the mental health um, myself like many other people have had the blues um, and occasional or situational depression and or anxiety um, that may or may not have led me through the you know through the years to seek professional help some I worked through on my own some I took steps to get help and then in 2001 I married a wonderful man, Brian, that had had a lifetime struggle with uh, fairly severe, for the most part, anxiety and depression. Um, I tried my best to support him through his struggles. He had numerous doctors and therapists, medications, inpatient and outpatient therapies, and medical treatments. With everything he did, he still lost his battle with mental health, and he died by suicide February 6th of 2018. Um, that is when I decided that I needed to do as much as I could to help and support others that are dealing with any mental health concerns. And that's also when my own um, pretty intense struggle with anxiety, depression, and PTSD started. Thanks for sharing all that, Libby. I know I've heard you share your story a couple different times. And every time I can really, I hear the passion coming through and I cannot help but be, I think, grateful that you're willing to share your story with others because there's a lot of people out there that they're not as brave. I think you're really brave, Libby, and I admire that a lot. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, Moving back to Monica, Mm -hmm. you know, we just, Libby did a great job. Both of you touched on the mental health and living with depression and anxiety and all those different challenges. But sometimes it's nice to just take a broad step approach. And can you just talk about what the term mental health, what it means? What does it all encompass when that term comes up? Yeah. You know, I think the easiest way to understand the concept of mental health is to equate it or, or parallel it to physical health. So we can, we have a, each of us individually have a wide range of physical health that's impacted by a lot of different things. Same thing with mental health. Every one of us has a wide range of mental health that's impacted by a lot of different things. So we could have, like, if you think of physical health, getting a cold and just not feeling great for a few days. Sometimes in in the mental health world, something might happen and we might just feel down or we might feel anxious for a few days, but then, you know, it doesn't really impede our ability to function, right? Like with a cold, you still go to work, Mm -hmm. you still carry on life, whatever. But let's say that like with physical health, you have to do kidney dialysis, or you are a diabetic and you need medication and watch your diet. And so that, that kind of bumps up the the care and concern in the physical health realm, right? You have to 
be really intentional every day to take care of that issue that you're having. Same thing in mental health. Sometimes because of genetics, because of environment, because of, you know, stressors we're under, we can struggle with symptoms of depression and anxiety. And if, if enough of those symptoms are present, we can even be diagnosed with depressive disorder, anxious disorder. So then it kind of bumps it up the scale to where really every day we need to be taking care of the symptoms and treating the illness. And so it's kind of an example of the range. And I would say we can be, we can have a mental illness, but we can still be okay with our mental health if we're managing the symptoms. Like, for example, I personally have been diagnosed with depression. I take an antidepressant every day. I have sought out therapy off and on over the years. And so I feel like even though I have this diagnosis of depression, I'm mentally healthy because I'm managing it and, um, and you know, going on, able to fulfill my daily life. So I don't know if that makes sense. Mental health in general is, is kind of around our emotions, our thinking, and our, our feelings kind of all in, in one, one vast, um, ball, I guess you could say that, that they all get clumped together when we're talking mental health. Right. And I think that's the perfect way to kind of lead into our, my next question is right. You know, there's, um, I don't know if situational anxiety or blues, and then it's when those uh, feelings are lingering for a longer period of time. And so, you know, we're going to start dialing things down a little bit more, mm-hmm. starting with oneself. Okay. So this question is for the listener that they recognize that they're struggling. Um, they want to get help, but they're hesitant to take the next steps because you know how things are depicted in movies or how people talk about stuff. Um, you know, I personally, I think about the first time I went to go see a therapist and I literally sat in the bathroom for 10 minutes beforehand, just like kind of just having to like deep breaths, Hannah, it's fine. It's going to be fine. Like you can go in and there's, it's okay to take that step. And so I'm going to go back to Libby on this one. You know, can you explain your experience of seeking professional help and what that process looked like for you? Okay. Um, I guess so years ago, um, I was I I sought some help and some medication for about six months. Um, I was going through divorce at the time. And all I could think of was how I had failed my children and my family, and was becoming a single mom and that just overwhelmed me. Um, I but I came to the realization for myself and my girls that I I couldn't do it on my own. I was I was kind of a wreck. So I I did see a counselor uh, a few times and I was on an antidepressant for about six months and was diagnosed with situational depression. And and that got me through it. Um, That was my first experience, I guess, um, of of any kind of treatment. Um, Then in um, 2018, I started my own intense struggle after um, the loss of my spouse. 
and I was diagnosed with anxiety, depression, and PTSD. Um, I had a lot of guilt, unanswered questions, and unresolved grief that I realized I wasn't equipped to handle um, on my own. And I started seeing a therapist in Bismarck um, that she helped me with some issues, but it took me probably about six months to realize that she wasn't a really good fit for me. Um, she did help me through some, some problems, um, but some, we just weren't a good fit. Uh, so I stepped back and tried the self-help books and some programs and YouTube videos and just, again, tried to do it on my own um, and realized that, that I wasn't really moving forward. I was just kind of spinning my wheels. Um, so then I, I decided to try an, a new therapist and she was a godsend. Um, she helped me through talking therapy. She did processing and she made me do homework. And then um, she also did EMDR, which is an eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, um, which I highly recommend for anyone that has any kind of trauma or PTSD. Um, it was it was amazing how how fast I felt a lot better. Anyway, she helped me work through so many things in my life that I thought I had worked through in the past when really I had just kind of buried them and um, kind of pretended they didn't exist. Um, then I ended up moving um, to Bismarck. So I was away from that therapist. And um, so here I've started attending support groups and then I still host a support group back in Hedinger. And then I've recently just started doing some video therapy through the VA. This COVID has thrown a wrench in a lot of stuff for a lot of people. And with work schedules and everything, um, that just seems to be what's working for me now. And I just realized that I, for lack of a better word, I kind of got stuck again and needed a little bit of a tune-up. So I decided that that was the step. Um, the one thing that I've learned throughout the years is you have to have the right fit. If you try someone and you don't feel comfortable, you don't feel like you can be open and honest, or just that you're not getting for lack of good advice or advice that works for you, stop seeing them and, and get into someone else. Not everybody's a good fit um, for everyone. And then um, again, the, the main thing is just be open and honest and just saying it out loud, or even if you can't say it out loud, writing it down and ripping up the paper, burning the paper, doing whatever, just, it, it, it gives you the power back. And um, that, that sounds kind of silly that, that doing something so simple can, but, but just getting it out of your head can, can give you the power back of your life and of your mind. And it's, it's just amazing. And I think it's important for listeners to keep in mind that um, everybody's coping mechanisms are going to need to be different. Like I have one friend and exercise is really like, her thing. When I'm feeling anxious and overwhelmed, I love to journal it out. Granted, you know, I'm single and I live by myself. So unless I'm going to get on the phone with somebody, I don't have that other person to talk to. So I just, and you can only call friends so, so many times and then they're like, okay, I'm just kidding. They would listen to me. 
at any time of day. But journaling helps me think things through. And as I'm journaling, I know my personally, my favorite question is like, okay, Hannah, you're feeling anxious. Why are you feeling anxious? I'm like, well, because I don't want to upset this person. And I'm like, well, why are you so concerned about upsetting this person? And then what I often find, at least for me, is just like, if something's giving me anxiety, it's just because I really care and I'm a caring person. And then it, like, it's easier for you or me to give myself some compassion and some grace and be like, okay, Hannah, deep breath. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, again, like everybody's coping mechanisms are going to be a little bit different. Uh, Monica, can you, yeah. as Libby was talking, I, I jotted down a couple questions. Um, one of them is Libby mentioned how she was diagnosed with clinical depression. And you've mentioned that as well. What does that diagnostic process looks look like? Like just in general, because I feel like it's going to be a little bit different, but also pretty similar for the most part too across the board. Yeah. So I think Libby and I actually had had two different routes of gaining that diagnosis. If I was hearing her story the right way and tell me if I'm wrong. But for me, I was just feeling so low and so unmotivated and so emotional. And, and I called my, um, my regular doctor, my, my practitioner. And I went and saw her and I was like, I cannot keep feeling like this. What is going on? Me thinking, you know, here I've a counselor and have been for years. And I'm thinking, oh no, it must be something physical. You know, it must be my thyroid levels or something, which could be, I mean, that's legitimate. But um, I just told her, I just cannot go on feeling like this. And um, we talked things through a little bit and she had me do the the screening tool and she's, she diagnosed me. So my, my medical practitioner and she felt comfortable enough starting, you know, medication right there and recommending a therapist. And, and, you know, then I was kind of off and running where I think Libby and correct me if I'm wrong, your diagnosis came from a mental health professional. So you go for counseling and um, they typically do an, an intake assessment session first, just gathering a lot of information, getting a background, getting history, talking about traumatic experiences or stressors and just things in life. And from that assessment, then if it meets enough of certain criteria in the diagnostic book, then you, you have that diagnosis, much like a medical diagnosis um, that that we get for a physical ailment as well. But I think it's important to point out that you can have symptoms of any mental health diagnosis without being uh, diagnosed with it. Like it's very common for people to have symptoms of anxiety fairly regularly or symptoms of depression. Um, and sometimes they can manage it on their own. Sometimes they may seek out a friend or a pastor or somebody to talk to about it, but it's when those symptoms become debilitating and it's like, I just can't pull it together. I can't keep up with work. I can't parent. I just, oh, then it's time, you know, to really be sure you're seeking that professional help because it's it's infringing on your ability to day-to-day do things. I mean, I work with farmers that 
you know, guess what? They can't call in sick and take PTO if they're not feeling right. And so sometimes it progresses to the level that you start to see some decline on the farm or with the livestock um, because of their mental health struggles. So don't put off getting help, I guess, is what I'm saying. Another thought I also had was Libby was sharing a couple techniques that have helped her. And so let's say you're a listener and you're appreciating our conversation and you're like, oh, I go and I see a counselor and we've never done that before. But maybe they're like, oh, but can I bring that up to my counselor? Are they going to be offended thinking that? I'm doing their job for them or something like that. Like, how would you bring up these different ideas to someone? Um, You're asking me? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Monica. No, that's okay. (laughs) Um, Well, I would hope that your counselor wouldn't be offended if you brought things up. And I would say if they were, maybe it's kind of like what Libby was talking about, that it's not the best fit. So you should feel when you're meeting with a counselor therapist, you should feel safe enough that if you're wondering about something or you heard something and you're just wanting to get their thoughts that you feel safe enough to bring that up. Um, and, and hopefully they would welcome that and, and it could be a great conversation. I love it when the people that I see have done kind of their own listening to things and investigating and, and they try different things and they come back and let me know. And, and then we make a decision together. Do we want to keep digging into that and working on that? Should we try something else or, you know, we process it. So yeah, you should feel open and and able to throw things out to your therapist that you might want to try or that you're wondering about. They're on your team and it's all about collaborating together to figure out what best works for you. I'm glad both of you brought up the finding the right fit because I think people, maybe they've tried counseling before and has it been the right fit and that can be really exhausting because then you have to go to a new person and re-explain everything that you're going through and what you're thinking about and so this is just a reminder to folks like don't give up hope you'll get that person maybe if you feel comfortable talking to people that you know also go to counseling asking Mm -hmm. who they like to go to why they like to go to them and that might help you get to the right person quicker now As we're switching, so that last question was, you're the listener, you know that you're struggling, you want help. We're going to turn the tables a little bit. And this next question is really for that listener that has a loved one that they know is struggling and they want to help that person get help essentially. And I was hoping Libby could speak on that because I know with the support group, um, I think you've had those types of conversations. And so I'm just really curious about what should you say? What questions should you ask? Is there anything you shouldn't ask or bring up? Kind of take us through how that conversation goes or has gone for you, I should say. And um, I'm going to throw the disclaimer in there that I am not a medical professional. (laughs) Um, But from my my personal experiences um, and I I almost feel like people think that I am a suicide 
I don't want to say expert because that's not the right word, but people call me, email me, FaceTime me with questions. And um, Hannah, you and I have had this conversation. I, I couldn't, I couldn't stop Brian. So I definitely am not an expert. Um, but I have been to that low and I have witnessed that low. So I, I get it on all aspects, on being the family, being the friend, and being the individual that's dealing. Um, so one thing, get them in a semi-private setting. Um, you know, a lot of times it's people that you you reach out to and meet them at the coffee shop or the restaurant um, or somebody at work. You just notice that somebody's just a little off. They're they're tired. They're quiet. They're angry. Um, just different things. You know, don't ask them in front of everybody else. Hey, what's your problem? Or, you know, what what's going on? Take them into a private setting. Um, you know, a back a back room. You know, sit off to the side in the coffee room. Even if you have to, <laughs> not to be creepy, but follow them into the restroom. You know, the the public restroom and, and just say, you know, so how are you? And don't listen to just their words, watch their reactions because their physical reactions will give you more information than any words they can say. Um, and then if they say, well, I'm okay, or I'm fine, or, you know, put a smile on and go, oh, great. You know, life's great. I've done it several times and said, okay, so how are you really feeling? And then a lot of times that'll open them up because they they realize that you know that they're not okay. Um, and maybe it's that day, maybe it's been ongoing. Um, <clears throat> but be be ready to have a tough discussion. And um, I I've had this discussion several times with several people over the I mean over years. And um, but I have to admit I was. I was caught off guard here recently. A friend of mine was was just off for a few days, and one day in in particular, I you know I just caught him and I said, "Hey, how are you doing today?" And he just kind of looked at me, and I'm like, "Is everything okay?" And he flat out blatantly said, "I could end it. I could end it right now." And and I. I, I was speechless, which does not happen very often. And I felt like he just hit me in the gut. And I was like, oh, okay. So when, and we just talked a little, just small talk a little bit, um, not any pointed questions, anything too, you know, but you know, like what, what's going on? And are you, are you really feeling that way? And then, um, if it gets to that point, ask if they have a plan. And I know a lot of people think that if you actually talk about suicide, it will put it in their mind or put it in their head. And that is so far from the truth. Because um, I can guarantee you, if it's, if it's in, the, in their, you saying it is not going to put it in their mind. If it's in their mind, it's already been processed several ways. Um, so just, just ask questions but let them answer. Um, don't, don't point, point fingers, so to speak, say, well, how would your family feel about that? Or how could you do that to your wife? 
um, you know, they're already feeling low, they're feeling guilty. Um, so I guess I don't know if there's any questions not to ask, um, but there are definite statements not to make. Um, don't tell them that's not fair. Don't say, how can you be so selfish? Um, things like that. Don't accuse guilt or blame them because I can promise you they've been doing that to themselves. Um, most people just want to be heard and feel seen. So again, just ask them open-ended questions and then let them talk. Um, one thing again with that I think COVID has really done has made so many people scared and feel unseen. Um, you're wearing a mask, you're supposed to keep your distance. Um, for goodness sakes, if somebody coughs or sneezes, everybody looks at you like, like you have the plague. Um, so just um, be open, be observant. Um, that's one thing that I guess I see a lot of things that other people don't see. Um, they ask me, well, what makes you think that? Or how did you see it? And, I'm, and to me, my response is, how didn't you? Like, how did you not realize that? Like, Hannah, if you saw me and I didn't say a word or I sat over in the corner with my head down, that would be out of the norm for me. And same thing. If you see the calmest, nicest person be angry, rude, sarcastic, ask them how they're doing. Cause there's something, something going on. And, um, I guess just, um, my, my biggest thing is <laughs> I am not a hugger. I never used to be a hugger at all. Um, but that particular person that said that to me after we talked and we kind of parted ways and we talked and we parted ways throughout the day. Um, at one point in time, I just walked up to him, gave him a little hug and walked away. Didn't say a word, didn't whatever. And uh, he was, but you could just feel the, I don't know, the release, the relaxate. I don't know what. Um, and sometimes you just hug him, touch him on the shoulder, again, look him in the eye, just let him know that you see them and that they're a person and that what they're feeling is legitimate. Oh, I, so many different thoughts that are going through my mind right now, as I was listening to you talk Libby, I think the two things that really like stood out to me as far as like, when you see somebody not acting like themselves, just like reaching out to them. And then I think about ag producers and how and I can say this because my family is an ag producer. The other weekend, you guys, we were working cows and like I was in a bad mood. Like I woke up in a bad mood and I knew I was being crabby and how I was working those cows was not how Hannah normally works cows. And um, oh, like I just wanted to get done so then I could just like go and recruit and have some time to myself. Um, and um, luckily, I mean... And after we got done and my brother was just like, Hannah, why were you acting like that? He was just, he was upset with me for me being crabby, which 
fair, totally fair. But it was one of those moments where I was like, Ty, I don't like acting like this. And I don't like working cows like this. And really, I just needed a hug. Like, you know, instead of being like, Hannah, why are you being such a crab apple? Just be like, hey, you're not acting like yourself. But it's so hard, I think, when you work with your family members. Um, sometimes we revert to bad habits or, you know, there's the whole family aspect to things when you think about those farmers and ranchers and everything. But that was just a thought that crossed my mind is it's something we struggle with in the egg community. Um, and then the other thought that also crossed my mind is, okay, you see somebody that's feeling down, um, but you're, you don't want to approach that individual by yourself. Um, I think in my experiences, it's been good. I work with a lot of different youth and it's been me and another trusted adult. We've gone and worked with those youth when we can see they're out of tune. And um, it's been really nice because the other gal, she asks those more like pointed or more direct questions. And then like, I get to play the, okay deep breath, just keep breathing. And we each play to our strengths. And I remember we got done with this one conversation and I was like, oh my God, thank goodness you were there. Cause I couldn't have done that by myself. And so again, just reminding folks that they're important conversations and don't put that pressure on yourself that uh, you have to do it by yourself. I mean, don't take in just the random stranger on the street, but um, you are allowed for it to be a team effort. Um, let's speak on the different resources available because I know at least in uh, the Hedinger area, our mental health providers are booked out. Like you could decide that you're ready to talk to someone and you can't get in for months. And so Monica, where can a person direct folks to what resources are available? And then I'm hoping that we can put some of those resources in um, our episode link for people sure. to yeah. go to. Big issue in rural areas right now is just that we don't have a men mental health workforce with a lot of availability. They're few and far between and, and need to cover a lot of area and a lot of people. So um, I know in North Dakota, you have the 211 first link helpline. And so it, as a first step, or, or it doesn't have to be a first step, but use that as a resource because they, they can help you not just with mental health things, but if you're dealing with financial stress or housing issues or domestic violence or whatever, they have a huge, big resource database that they can, they can help point you in the right direction. Um, I will also say that some people, I think, especially our farmers and ranchers, although they don't go to the doctor either for medical stuff when they're sick, but sometimes it feels like the doctor is a safer, maybe more comfortable person to go talk to at least initially. And so if you can't find a therapist, look at who do you have a support people in your life, your doctor, your uh, pastor, priest, you know, close friends are, are places to start. If, if you're either hesitant or on the fence about a therapist, 
and or if you can't get into one for a while. Um, I would say that if you call in and there's a wait, just schedule the appointment, just schedule it. Because even if it's a couple months out, guess what? In a couple months, you're still going to be there and, and probably struggling versus if you pass on the appointment. Um, I will also say that for North Dakota, through a grant, I believe that's through NDSU, there are counseling services available to farmers and ranchers at no cost. And so there, um, the agency is called Together Counseling. And it's based, I think they have offices of Bismarck, Jamestown, Fargo, but they also do teletherapy. And so that that's an option for North Dakota farmers and their families that would not, you know, know an insurance build as far as I know, or else they cover co-pays, things like that. But that's an option to check out as well. So those would be my top three. Obviously, you know, you can Google counselor, therapist in your area and start there. But sometimes in these small rural communities, we really have to think outside of the box um, and, and be willing to try the telehealth route, which adds its own challenges. I work with many farmers who are older. Technology isn't their thing. Um, a lot of our farmers and ranchers have hearing impairment because of working around loud equipment their whole lives. And so telehealth isn't always the answer. Sometimes there's no broadband service where they live. And so that, you know, it's nice that it's there, but I think we have to recognize it's not an option for everybody. So just thinking outside the box a little bit, being willing to try something like telehealth um, or, you know, booking that appointment and then reaching out to pastors um, or some other supportive people in your life, your doctor, until you can get into that therapist. Um, I'm going to go back to one of my questions that I was going to skip over, but then as you were talking, Monica, I was like, no, like all these questions are just so good. I like, it's so important to talk about. And so, you know, you're, we just talked about the different resources available, which, um, you know, when we go back to talking with loved ones and as you're having those conversations, um, you know, specifically speaking on the topic of suicide, um, how do you respond if they're answered the question, are you thinking about suicide is yes. Um, because it is important to ask that question straight out. And like Libby said, um, it's not like you're planting a seed in their mind. They've been thinking about this for a while. And so, um, is it fair to say that, you know, if that's their response, like what, what would be the next steps? And I think that ties into what you just talked about a little bit, but just bridge that gap. Sure. Yeah. So if you do, if you do notice, just like Libby was describing, if you notice a change in behavior, personality, or things just aren't right, which I will add little asterisks for our farmers and ranchers who are chronically stressed. Sometimes you don't notice like this abrupt personality change. Sometimes it's just kind of been a slow decline over the course of time. So it's a little easier to miss. So that adds another challenge. But regardless, exactly what Libby said, if you see, it's all about relationships. If you see or notice something in someone that just is not like they're done, they're not themselves or maybe you're aware that something really traumatic or stressful happened in their life, um, you know, just perk up and pay, pay attention to warning signs. 
So if you approach somebody and say, you know, are you doing okay? And you're not really getting that assurance and keep going with it. And, and, you know, I reiterate what Libby said too. Don't be afraid to ask the question. Are you planning on killing yourself? Um, if you do get a yes, then it's like, oh crap, what now? <laughs> you know, what do I do now? And, you know, there's, there's a few different things that you can do. Number one, don't leave them alone. So make sure if you can't be with them, that you find another trusted adult to be with them um, for whatever period of time. So ideally, if they say yes, then there's there's the, the rule of don't leave them alone. And then how can we get them services? Now, if it's like critical, um, where they have, let's say a firearm out or they have pills or whatever their means are and they're, they're in the place of moving forward with that, you know, there's no time to mess around. It's call 911, um, get them to an emergency room. Think of it as life or death because it is life or death. So um, apart from that, if it seems like they're just kind of thinking about it, maybe they have a plan, we still need to take it really seriously. And sometimes it's um, helpful to get a commitment from them to schedule an appointment to go see somebody and tell them, okay, I'm going to be checking back in with you to make sure you've made that appointment or to make sure you've gone and talked to the pastor. Or do you want me to go with you? to talk to somebody, um, keep resources with you. So when they're there and they're struggling, offer to dial the number for them. Here, let's just call 211. Let's just call, you know, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And you can be that person that does the talking and the, the hotline workers will guide you through what to do. Um, or maybe it's, you know, let's, let's, book an appointment right now for you to go see a counselor if there's somebody available or if there's crisis services available. So it's it's kind of like once you get the answer to the question, then it's really around persuading them to get some help um, and then moving forward with either following up that they've gotten that help or handing off to somebody that you know is assisting them. So yeah, it's really difficult and there's not one great answer because we're all, you know, especially in rural areas, we, we don't know what's available. Are there crisis teams? Are there not crisis teams? But there's always hotline numbers. There's always 911 and there's an emergency room somewhere around you. And so, um, you know, if it's, if it's a significant threat that they're actually thinking about this, I would just take action. And a lot of people feel a little leery of doing that because they think, oh, this person's going to be mad at me. They're going to think I've overstepped my bounds or going to tell me it's none of my business. But honestly, we would rather have someone alive and angry with us than gone. So don't, um, you know, don't hesitate to reach out and be involved and check in and see how they're doing and follow up. I think that following up part is really important. 
I had a speaker say that if you tell them that you're going to check in in three days, you better dang well check in in three days. Set an alarm on your phone, write it down on your calendar, whatever you need to do, because that follow through is really important to that other individual. They, they want to know that they can count on somebody and somebody cares about them mm-hmm. and everything. Okay. So deep breath. At least I need to take a deep breath. This is some heavy stuff that we're going mm-hmm. over to wrap things up. My last, um, but definitely not least question is, um, So I like, we talk about the ripple effect where one small gesture evolves to impact on a broader scale. And that's what helps me on these like big, big, big conversations, helps me take a deep breath and step back and not have the weight of the world on my shoulders. Um, So for some listeners, for everybody listening, what are some small ways people can sprinkle in a little mental wellness, whether its thoughts or activities into their everyday lives or the lives of others. And I would let, I welcome whatever thoughts either of you have. Uh, I guess Libby, if you want to go first, since Monica has been, I've been hitting her hard with the questions. Um, Well, for yourself, I would say um, daily affirmations. Um, You can even get little calendars that have a daily happy thought or whatever. Um, Social media can be a good thing. I mean, it can be a bad thing, but it can be a good thing. And like on Facebook, I like to share kind of happy thoughts, positive things, reminders to people that they are important and they are seen. Um, When it's in person, I would say, all you have to do, just smile. You see somebody, smile at them, say hi. Um, especially if it's someone who, again, is hanging their head, trying not to be seen because they're self-conscious or just shy even, all you have to do is say hi to them or be sincere. Um, But, you know, compliment their shirt, their shoes, their jacket, their hair. Um, Just, again, let them know that, that you see them and that that you appreciate them. It can make, make a big difference. And if you're having a bad day, it can just something so simple can pick your rate up. Awesome. Okay. Um, that was really good. I, I don't know that I have anything to add. I just jotted a couple things down. One thing for ourselves, sometimes we see, we feel like there's a disconnect between our our mental health and our basic needs like sleep and eating and drinking water. And um, so one core kind of base uh, thing you can do to build mental wellness on is just take care of yourself physically. You know, if you, if you drink a lot of coffee, pop and energy drinks and beer, you know, get some water in there, get some milk in there. Um, make sure you're eating decent foods. That's really hard during our busy times of like planting and calving and harvest, but um, think ahead, get some healthy meals in there because your physical health and how you physically feel is a lot is based on that. If you feel sick, if you feel run down, if you're not taking care of yourself, you know, that directly affects your mental health and mental well-being. And then um, 
having something to look forward to or something that you're hopeful about, I think is really important. It helps get through really difficult times when we can change our thinking from dwelling on the current difficulties to, you know what, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm really thankful for this. Libby mentioned gratitude, huge to help mindset. Um, And then for other people, just listening, listening, actively listening, just to hear and understand what they're saying, not don't listen and be formulating your answers or trying to solve their problems. Just listen to them and reassure people that they exist for a purpose. And they are, you know, even if they don't feel like they know what that purpose is, you exist for a purpose, you are here for a purpose, and you're valued, cared about, loved. All the things. All the things. things. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you both so much for sitting down with me. I've really appreciated this conversation and the different topics that we've covered and so I would just like to say that's my gratitude for today so thank you both I also got in a yoga class just a little bit ago and so I am just like cool calm and collected for now (laughs) Um, but yeah we'll make sure to put some of those different resources in the bio and then I guess that's what I have, unless either of you have anything. Awesome. No, I thought it was really good. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you for listening to Agriculture Applied. This podcast is brought to you by NDSU Adams County Extension, host Hannah Nordby, and editor Nora Larson. Special thanks to Strong Coffee and Peanut Butter for making this episode possible. Have safe, be fun, and watch for deer. I'll stop this.